Last week, you remember that we talked about Nehemiah. I know uh, one, I don't want to go back over the, the historical settings that um, I spent a lot of time with last week. At the same time, I, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what's going on with Nehemiah. So as, as just really just try to put it in a very quick setup. You know, uh, this happens about mm, four or 500 years before Christ is coming. Uh, it's, it's a focused uh, story because it has to do with a very real incident that occurred in the life of Israel. Many of you are aware that Israel was completely, Jerusalem was obliterated by King Nebuchadnezzar for a variety of reasons. They ultimately, it was a series of events that led to the final just devastation of the city in which it was just left in rubble. The temple was destroyed utterly. Solomon's great, majestic temple just obliterated. Uh, the city itself leveled to the ground. The gates, the walls burnt, thrown asunder. It was a disaster. In those days, if you did not have a wall around your city, you were always vulnerable. And one of the things that happens is the people were forcibly relocated as well by Babylon, back to Babylon. In fact, we'll put a little map up. The map is more just designed to give you a sense of where Nehemiah was writing from, where he was living in relation to Jerusalem. It's in the news today. Uh, Susa is in the region that we call Iran. The whole idea, you can see the two, those two rivers there, the Tigris and the Euphrates are right there. There's Babylon was, you know, ancient Babylon is Iraq, ancient Persia is Iran. Jerusalem, you can see where it's located. These things are all in the news today. Now, Nehemiah is, is living in, in per, under the Persian reign of King Artax, Art, Artaxerxes. He's, a, he's taken over uh, the Babylon, Babylonian Empire has fallen. The Medes and the Persians have taken uh, over the entire you know, realm and empire. It's, it's, it, well, one of the things that happens is the king decides he has a more favorable position with the, the Jewish people, and he decides to allow a significant amount of them, some 50,000, to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And they commit themselves to, the first thing they really committed themselves to was to rebuild the temple. But somewhere along the way, the momentum stopped, and the walls never got built, and the city never really got restored. So they had a temple, but the city was still basically in, uh, in rubble. Now, that's the setup for what we read here as Nehemiah opens up. So if you can turn with me in your Bible, it's in your handout as well, or in your electronic device that has the scripture on it, you're welcome to use that too. Uh, it says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev. That would be corresponding to our months of November, December, sort of somewhere in between those two. And it says here that uh, Nehemiah writes, I, it was in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign that I was at the fortress of Susa. I just kind of, we talked about that. And he says, and Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And, you know, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. So he starts out with a real innocent inquiry. I mean, he, he's basically like, you know, his brother comes back, whose brother has been visiting in Jerusalem, gone to see how things were going. Uh, his brother comes back, and Nehemiah asks him the question, you know, everybody left with such really excitement and joy. How are things, tell me how things are going back in the old country. How are things going there now that the people have returned? And Hanani gives this report that alters the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, it was on this day, as a result of a very innocent conversation on my part with my brother, where I asked him about how things were in Jerusalem, that the answer that he gave me changed everything. He says, when, what Hannah and I told me was this. He says, well, if you really want to know, Nehemiah, um, things are not going well at all. He says, those people who've returned to the province of Judah, listen, 
they're in great trouble. In fact, it's a disgrace. Uh, it, you, you have to see it almost to believe it. The, the walls of Jerusalem, they've, they've been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. It's just, it's just a bad situation. What, one of the things we know, it's like if Hananiah said, if you really want to know Nehemiah, I can tell you, but it mean, it's, it's going to break your heart because if you saw it, you just, it just, it just it's awful. Because um, one, the, the morale is so bad. And Nehemiah's probably going, but everybody left so excited. And it was such a, a sense of victory and expectation and anticipation. And, re- and didn't they rebuild the temple? What happened? Yeah, they rebuilt the temple, but everything else just kind of stopped. The momentum just sort of dropped off. And if you were to go there now, you know what you would see? You would see a city in shambles. I'm telling you, it's awful. There's the, the, the gates haven't been re- or they, that were burned. They're just, they're just remnants. There's, they're just, you know, animals are running through the city. It's, it, and what's more, there are enemies, real enemies, that have got them, they're shrewd. And they've got them under their thumb. You know it. Without a wall around the city, we're totally exposed. It means we're always vulnerable. You kind of live in a low-grade sense of panic, knowing that any time raiders can come, your your oppositions from the surrounding uh, countries can just show up and plunder you at at almost, you know, at will. There's really no defense for our people. In fact, Nehemiah, if you went there, you would say, it is a shame. It's a disgrace. And Nehemiah is going, how can it be that this is the case? And something happens. He hears the news in such a way that it doesn't just go, like, kind of casually hits him. It hits him in a way that, that brings out an emotional response from him. It's like if someone says something to us about a person we loved, and we just started out the conversation, you know, hey, how are they doing? How are things going with them? I haven't, I haven't talked to them for years. And then someone says, you don't want to know. It's so bad. And when Nehemiah hears that news, it's like his world gets affected. And it says that he, he tells us, he says, and all of a sudden when I heard this, I just, I just couldn't even stand up anymore. I just sat down and I just started, I don't know, he says, he, he, almost like he's surprised at his own emotions. He says, I just started, I just started weeping. I started weeping, I started to mourn. In fact, I mourned, I fasted, I prayed I, for days to the God of heaven. And, and there is this really this strong sense that Nehemiah is very affected by this news. It bothers him that the people who made such a courageous, you know, risk-taking journey to do something that he was proud of were now finding themselves God's people, the people of covenant and promise whom the Lord had amazingly restored and done something extraordinary by allowing us to keep our identity, return back home, and now to hear this news. It was just heartbreaking, heart-wrenching for him. And so he starts praying. He starts, he starts you know, walking around with a, a real burden in his heart for his people. And that's the picture we're given. Now, one of the things that we know, and that's what you know, sets the table for this really beautiful prayer that is uttered here. It's, it's an astonishing prayer. Look, fat, look, what, look what he, he sort of captures his, what he focuses his prayer on in these next verses. And he just lays it out for us. He says, oh, Lord, God of heaven. I, in other words, I prayed like this. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, you're the great and the awesome God who keeps covenant, keeps promise of unfailing love with those who love him and obey him and his commands. Obey his commands. Listen to my prayer, Lord. I need you to look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. And I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses, that if you are unfaithful to me, yes, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey me and obey my commands, 
and live by them. Then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Listen, Lord, the people you rescued by your great power and your strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And then he has this little piece at the back end. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Now, cupbearer, you know, that, by the way, that was a position of great prestige. A person who was a cupbearer to the king was a most trusted confidant. He was the one who tasted the king's drink for poison. Now, admittedly, the job had a downside to it, right? Okay, we agree. <laughs> we agree on that. But it was a great job in so many ways. You were allowed, you were allowed to have access into places. It was, it was something that you were extremely trusted. Um, you tested everything the king drank. And again, you just hope that people knew that that was for sure going to be happening every time. And indeed, Nehemiah took his responsibilities very seriously. And he had risen to a place of great prominence. prominence. That's the point. And at the same time, we can see his heart is just, is just filled with a desire to see his people blessed. And he's having a hard time being okay with his good situation while things are falling apart in the city of his ancestors, even though he's never actually even been there. This has been his home in Persia. Now, here's the thing. We know that one of the real blessings, some, someone was talking to me about it, I said, well, you know what, man, we were studying the Older Testament. Well, isn't, you know, as far as Jesus, shouldn't we focus more on the New? And I said, you know what, there's no question about it. And we spent a lot of time in the New Testament. I said, but you know what, there is a huge value in engaging the Older Testament. I mean, the two are really linked together. The roots of one uh, ex help explain the other. To gain an understanding of the Older Testament gives us tremendous advantage in appreciating the New. Some of the things that Jesus says, teaches, the way in which things are framed in the New Testament are so connected to the Older Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes these words in Romans 15. This, some people think Romans is the greatest book that Paul ever wrote, you know, that God spoke just, you know, extraordinarily powerful, meaningful uh, words through this particular letter. And yet in the 15th chapter, I just kind of want us to see this. He writes this, that whatever things were written beforehand, he's talking about the things that were written for our learning. He talks about how they, through, through you know, what patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Oh, let that linger for a moment. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that the there is a value in looking back at the Older Testament. One, it fills us with uh, knowledge, and it's good to have a historical perspective on the things that we we believe and we talk about in relation to Jesus and the New Testament. So there's a historical value in and of itself. But he's saying it's more than that. There is a huge blessing in looking backwards at the way God dealt with certain people, particularly with individuals, because it reminds us that there are not only things for us to learn, but there are things that when we move through life, we will also struggle at times to have a kind of... Um, ability to sustain a faith that is staying encouraged and is patient. In other words, we're going to have to negotiate through difficult places. And, and when we do, it's helpful to look back at examples because it inspires hope and optimism, optimism in us. So that faith is strengthened. Oftentimes, when we look back at how God dealt with certain people in the Old Testament, there's a tremendous benefit for us in terms of building our own life. Now, again, with God. Now, Nehemiah wanted a breakthrough for his people. God wants 
God wants us to have breakthrough in our lives as well. Nehemiah wanted to see, as, you, as we're all going to watch together, wanted to see something built for his people's safety and well-being. God wants to build things in us for our safety, well-being, and wholeness as well. He does not want us to be always vulnerable, to have a faith that is sort of at the mercy of circumstances or situations that go against us that he wants to teach us how to have a, a, a kind of life in God that is not just solid, it's prevailing, it's capable of enduring, it has a kind of fiber to it that is resilient, that can grow, it has a, 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 an ability to be safe enough for us to flourish, even in challenging places. So this is what we're going to be looking at in the weeks ahead. Now, kind of looking, think of it in this way. I want to just to kind of push more closely into Nehemiah and the characteristics that he sort of models for us, and just note them. And I want to use them as a kind of a way of interacting with the opening of this study. Let me suggest this about Nehemiah. The first thing we notice is Nehemiah cared. I mean, he really cared. He wanted to know what was going on in Jerusalem. That was something that was important to him. He, he, uh, he clearly was not just asking out of curiosity. I mean, if you think about it, he could have... <laughs> If he says, hey, hey, Hananiah, tell me, what's the latest news over there in Jerusalem? You know, how are things going there? And Hananiah might have said, you know, look, these are awful. You don't believe what's going on. And, I, and then if Nehemiah was just, you know, he's going, oh, and, and tell me a little bit about it. Oh, that's, that's, oh, I feel, oh, that's sad. That's sad. Oh, man, I sure hope God, you know, I sure hope they made the right decision going back. I hope God blesses them, you know? It's almost like Nehemiah could have very easily said, hey, you know what? That's not my problem. That's somebody else's deal. You know, there's a part of Nehemiah, and you would have understood it. They would have said, hey, even if I do care, the bottom line is, I got a really good job here. I mean, it's a really good job. It's got one downside, but everything else about it is excellent. I mean, I got great perks. It is sweet. I'm set up. This is my home. It's not my job to be worrying about Jerusalem. But you know what? His heart was, was just like hit. And something was triggered inside of him, and, and he began to, to really care deeply. Uh, and it, it, it was something that just got inside of him. And it shows you that, that he wasn't just a person who was sort of self-consumed with his own life and his own comfort. That there's something that came out of Nehemiah that he could not be content in his good place. That he had to be able to say that, that, that God, there's more to my life than just me being in a good place. There's got, you've, you've shown me something, and I can't ignore it. And it's one thing to have sympathy and curiosity, and it's another thing to have deep empathy. Because when we really empathize, we begin to feel the burden of the one that we are caring for. And all of a sudden, that issue is not just their issue that we feel bad about. It's something that we begin to feel ourselves. And Nehemiah begins to feel that. And that leads to the second piece here. Not only does he care, but look at this. He actually nurtures that. He nurtures his concern. I mean, when you, look at, when you look at that sixth verse again, it's real quick. He says, listen to my prayer, Lord. I need you to just look down and see me praying. What does he say? Night and day. I mean, see me praying night and day. There's this continual kind of immersion with Nehemiah. He, he's, his focus is, is kind of a relentlessness attached to it. He just keeps putting another log on the fire in his heart. And I, I mean, I'm thinking about it. instead of building, listen, instead of building a wall around his heart, 
Nehemiah exposed his heart to the touch of God. It, instead of choosing to say, it's not my problem, built, he built a wall around it. That's ah, too bad, not my problem. Instead of building a wall around his heart, he exposes it to the touch of God, and he joins himself to the burden for his people, and then he nurtures that burden. He says, I started praying about it a lot. In fact, when I got up in the morning, it was on my mind, and I asked God to bless my people. When I, got up at, when I went to bed at night, it was on my mind, and I asked God to give me somehow, a, some way, some shape or form, enough favor with the king that, that I could help my people. It says that not only that, I began to, to, to carry that with me, and, I, and it says that he began to also fast, and his fasting, his, his willingness to, to not eat, was a way of sharpening, sharpening his focus on a particular point that he wanted to sit into, right? So it, the value of prayer, and, and in this case, fasting as well, is every time he felt that hunger, it was focusing him back on his, his point of concern. That's a, it's a very interesting to watch how he just nurtures this in his heart. And then, so not only does he say, I, I care. And not only does he nurture that caring and that concern, but look what else he does. In that 11th verse, he, he identifies himself as someone who really does delight. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Look at the phrase. We are your people, look at this, who, those of us who delight in honoring you. Delight in honoring you. Lord, may, may that be said of us. He didn't say it with pride. He said, look, it is my delight to honor you with my life, God. I want to live that way. And God is calling a lot of us, think about this, may we be able to say that. May we be able to say, Lord, my delight, I want to be the person who delights in honoring you with my life. I may not get it always right. I may stumble. I may struggle. I will. And I'll get off track sometimes. And we do. Not one of us here has this down for it. But you know what? After all said and done, I want to be a person this is what I choose to be, a person who allows my heart to be touched by you and seeks to honor you in my life, that I want to delight to do it, not just feel obligated to do it, but I want to delight to honor you with my life. And that may mean that there are times where I'm going to be stretched and inconvenienced, and there are going to be times where we're going to be challenged, there's going to be times where it's going to be hard, because I never see anything built well that doesn't cost something. There is no easy breakthrough. Anytime we really want to move forward and build something of quality that will last, endure, and bring really what it was meant to bring, it's going to cost us something. But Nehemiah says, but I'm a person who delights in honoring you with my life. This is the person I want to be. This is the life I want to live. I've committed myself to it, God. You know what? That's going to affect all the decisions we make. When we decide that we want to be, at the end of our day, known as a person who delighted in honoring the Lord with our life. It's going to affect the decisions we make in the present. It's going to affect the way we, we commit ourselves to him. It's going to affect the way we love people. It's going to affect the decisions we make. It's just, look, Jesus said, at the end of your day, may you hear these words, well done. We sang about it. Good and faithful servant. You know, it, <laughs> it's, it, God's goal isn't to make us happy just for ourselves. We'll talk about that in a moment. Fourth thing that Nehemiah asked was this. He said, Lord, will you give me success? Now, this is an interesting statement because it can almost sound self-centered, but in his case, it wasn't, even though it was, right? I mean, it was both. He's saying, Lord, I need you to give me success here. 
I need you to do something. And he's very explicit in what he asks, which is a great, because again, these things are written for what? For our learning, for our patience, for our hope. So it's a great template for us. He says, God, I need you to help me here. I need you to do something because I, I specifically have a request that I need you to do. I need you. And did not Jesus say, some of us have not because we ask not? There are times where if, if we would simply consistently ask God for something, we may be shocked at what happens. Amazed, utterly amazed. Nehemiah is going, Lord, I need you to do something I cannot do. I need you to give me success with the king. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to, at some point, I'm going to have to risk. But when I do, I need you to be with me. I need you to, and then he makes a statement, I need you to t touch his heart. I need you to, I need you to, and it's almost like he's got a childlike prayer. I, I, I need you to tenderize his heart to me and give me favor with him. That's an interesting prayer that he makes. I need, I need you to help me succeed here. And, and, and some of us, we need to be encouraged to, to be okay praying that. Last thing we know, though, about Nehemiah is not only does he pray for that success, but he also is very sensitive. And this is the fifth piece. He's very sensitive to the timing issue, isn't he? I mean, he really does model what it means to wait for the timing of the Lord. He doesn't rush into this. He's, he doesn't act rashly. He gets, he's not all excited and then emotive, and then he does something off the cuff without thinking it through. There's this real maturity attached to Nehemiah. He succeeds where a lot of us fail at a number of levels. And I don't say it in a bad way. I'm just being honest. Because some of us, we're really good on the front end. We have a great start, but we have a very difficult time sustaining. Others of us, the real challenge is we just were afraid, and we don't want to even go for it because it's like, I don't want to take a chance because I won't make it, and I'll fail. So we don't even try. And Nehemiah, he's got this interesting piece to him. He's very passionate, and he cares deeply. But at the same time, you'll notice, he's not reckless. He doesn't just walk out and say, that's it, Hananiah. I'm going to go talk to the king right now. I mean, he knows. You don't do that. That would be absolutely, potentially, that, not, that, could, that conversation could end very, very badly for him. Not just talking about losing his job. We're talking about leaving the land of the living, right? And we're talking about bad ending. If he messes this thing, you don't displease the king. That's the point. You don't just say, oh, hey, king, let me tell you a little something that's on my mind. And if he happened to be in a bad mood, you're in a bad, very bad place. Nehemiah, saw, he saw these things. He knew how it worked. He goes, God, I'm going to need you, one, I need you to give me success, two. I need to be sensitive to the right time. And there is a balance in this. But this ability to sustain his burden be, and not let it go, he just kept with it, kept it sharp, kept it on, wouldn't just sort of say, let it, because a lot of times you and I, will, we have a tendency that when something doesn't happen in the, in the early stages of our kind of feeling of, of connection with that, we, we, we all times it just sort of dies out, right? You know, we know it's true. Good intentions die out. But he kept, he kept the thing, the, another log on it. Just kept it going, kept it going. Prayed fast, thinking about it day and day. Kept it going until the time, he says, and he keeps praying, Lord, give me that moment. I'm getting ready. When that moment comes, Lord, I'm going to pray that you open that door. And when it opens, Lord, help me to, to see it and step into it, God. I want to pray. And you know what? He waits on the timing of the Lord. And, when that, and we're going to see. It's going to be wonderful to look at together. That when that door swings open, and it does, Nehemiah is ready. He wasn't just waiting. He was waiting to, and just saying, well, when God does it, then I'll, I'll prepare. He was preparing for the answer that he was believing would come, even though there were no guarantees. 
That was an act of faith on his part, anchored in hopefulness. Now, what can we, what can we glean from this? And we only have a few, few minutes to share around this. Let me just kind of pl- put some questions before us. And I, it's kind of like me. I would like us to think about applying it to our own hearts. And this is just to get us thinking about this as we move not only into this week, but also as we move into these coming weeks. Because I want to, I think we're understanding. I would like us to build something together, even as we watch Nehemiah build a wall. One thing that's pretty clear to me is that God does have a desire to see every one of us get sort of touched with something in our hearts. He, want, he has a burden for us to embrace. So what is it? You know, one of the great gifts of God is to be, one of the old writers said, is a, is a man, we would say, a person fully alive. The glory of God is a man fully alive. And when you have a burden, you're alive. The heart is activated. We care. One of the worst things Jesus said that can ever happen to our walk with God is for it to just become ritual, motions, going through motions, and never connected to anything with passion. That in my opinion, sometimes God sends us a gift. I'm not saying he does it every time this way, but a lot of times the problems in life, the crises of our lives, are ways of awakening our faith again because we're on autopilot. And in Nehemiah's case, he was a man who was a good man, a godly man. He had a great job. He was in a great situation. He didn't have a problem, really, as we can tell with his life. But all of a sudden, he hears this news, and his heart is smitten. And it just, he cares. His heart is tender to the Lord. And he cares. So are there things that God's asking us to care about? And what would that look like in his name? And those carings are often connected to other people. And that's the second question. Are there people whose welfare we are contending for? And I mean that not to, to push anybody in the places we don't, we're not supposed to. I'm just saying, you know, Nehemiah cared for his people. And so it caused him to think, what can I do to be a blessing to my people? And are there people that God's calling us to think about? You know, the, the Christian life, I, I said this earlier, stay with me on it. It's not just about get, making us happy. Jesus never said that is the, should be the goal. And not even, go, and I'm, when we talk about health and life and growing and getting better and, and maturing in our faith, and, he never, and those are all good things, and yet they are not an end in themselves. Every blessing God works into our lives, everything the Lord turns around, every freedom he brings that we sang about, everything that he does in our lives ultimately is meant at some level to be a blessing to someone else. It is an other-centered faith. The Son of Man came, Jesus said, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When they were arguing on that, that day, that night, before the cross, right there on the edge of it, and they're arguing about who is the greatest, and Jesus gets down and puts the towel around him and says, I'll wash your feet and show you what greatness looks like, or at least what it doesn't look like is what you're talking about. And he begins to serve them. Now, again, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is it's about being a blessing. He was trying to change, saying, look, whatever God does in our lives is so that we can be a blessing to others with it. Now, who are the people? There might be people on our jobs. There might be people around us. There might be people in our, you know, in our family. It might be friends. It might be someone across the seas. It might be someone in this city that we are believing for, by the way. The people that are ultimately going to have their lives affected because of what we're trying to do together as a people. But we need to be able to connect the dots 
that there are things in our lives that we're doing them because they're going to be a blessing for the purposes of God. And they're going to affect other people. That I'm doing this so that others can be released, be released to do this. I am willing to, and for some of us, God's going to say, step up and serve. For some of us, God's going to say, step up and take responsibility. You have the knowledge. You, you can do it. Step up. Some of us are going to be asked to host things. And God's going to say, do that. Some of us are going to be asked to bless in ways that we, we're not open to blessing. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what it is that God's going to say. I know what God's trying to do in our midst. And perhaps some of us are going to feel that call in our heart to want to be a part of stepping out and risking. But here's the thing, and this is the third piece. Some of us, and here's the question, are there doors right now that we need God to swing open for us? And it's time to be surprised. It's time. To, look, some of us are in situations where we really do need God to show up. You know, we were talking about the service earlier as we were preparing for it, to share it early in the week, actually. And certainly when we came after Saturday night, we were saying, what is God trying to say to us? You know, part of I said, is even in the songs, you know what I think God's trying to say? He's trying, I believe the Lord is trying to remind us to not be discouraged, but to keep trusting him in ways that allow for the possibility of God to do amazing things. Because frequently we get closed down. We, we do clutch our fists, and we do fold our arms like the older prodigal. And we're doing the right thing. But our heart is, in a, is, is not right. Our attitude is not right. And God wants us sometimes free. The only thing you see about Nehemiah, and we're going to dig into his prayer as well, is he doesn't accuse God of anything. It's not about God not showing up. He's saying, look, we've let you down, Lord, but I need you to show up. And then he, do, and then he does, he asks for God to open the door that no man can open. You open it, God. You open it. You give me favor with him. It'd be like us saying, Lord, give me favor with my boss. Lord, give me favor with this one who's in authority over me. Give me favor with my manager, Lord. Give me favor in a way that would allow me to have some type of an ability to bless in a way that I haven't been able to do. Lord, I pray for that. I pray for breakthrough in the area of my finances. I pray for breakthrough, Lord, in, in, this, in this health issue. I pray in this relational thing that's been killing me. Some of us, I pray, pray for breakthrough in a relationship with my, my father, my mother, my, my, my you know, a grandparent. For others, it has to do with our, our children. My son my daughter won't talk to me anymore. We hear these things all the time. I mean, we got to keep, and some of us go, like, why bother? It is what it is. And I'm telling you, I got some of that in me too. But there are times where God's saying, look, don't give up so easy. And don't quit. Do not be weary in well-doing. In due time you shall reap if you faint not. But there are times where God's saying, just keep putting that thing before me. Keep putting it before me. Let me, welcome me into this. Ask me directly. Keep asking me. Have others join with that. Let faith grow. Let hope be strengthened, okay? Because God can do things. God is able to do stuff beyond what we can sometimes think or imagine. He is, how do we say it? God is not bound, nor is he limited. And he waits sometimes to be asked. And he waits to see what we do. Now, again, this is, and then, okay. Better stop. Let me pray. Let me pray. All right. Lord, I thank you uh, for so much of what you're doing, even in our midst. And I pray that even as you build things, Lord, in, in a way you're building something in our church. But even as you do that, I pray that you would build something inside of us too. And that all of us would be able to join in sharing in, in the, the, the delight of honoring you. Uh, it's all about that phrase, Lord. May we delight to honor you with our lives. 
And I just pray that, that you would help us, Lord, to be encouraged. Some of us, we just need to really, we need to reaffirm our confidence in you. That the Lord will be our confidence and keep our foot from being caught. That we need you to, some of us, we need you to give us favor. And I know it sounds selfish, Lord, but Nehemiah did it so we can too, Lord. We need, some, of, some of us need to have you give us favor with some people. Some of us need you to, to tenderize their heart. Yeah, you can do it, because sometimes the heart of a king is like a river in the hand of the Lord. He turns it where he wills. And Lord, you, you, some of us, you're calling us to just have, have faith and, and to have a, a hope and an expectation, and we're going to gain strength from Nehemiah's walk for our own lives as well. So, you know, Lord, help us to have eyes that are wide open to the possibilities of what you can do when we are willing to embrace that which you're asking us to embrace. And also, Lord... Give us the ability to have hopefulness that is unbroken. And even as we close in the song, which is connected to that, our eyes wide open, our hope unbroken, I pray that, that the passion and the life of that song would flow into us. I pray that you bless our closing minutes, bless our time of giving, bless this body of people who, who want to love you and follow you. We ask for the, the goodness and the grace of God to prevail over this beautiful day. Let's not run ahead too fast. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Amen. Amen.